1: Hi, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to episode 95 of Awards Chatter, the Hollywood Reporter's Awards podcast. I'm the host, Scott Feinberg, and I am coming to you from the New York Film Festival with a special episode presented by the Empire Hotel. Today, my guest is one of the most talented, beautiful, and enigmatic stars of the present day, Kate Beckinsale. As hard as it is to believe, the stunning, Oxford-educated Brit is 43 years old and has already been on the scene for 25 years. She first made her name in British period piece productions adapted... From great works, projects like Kenneth Branagh's film version of Much Ado About Nothing and the TV miniseries version of Emma. Before long, she was in America starring in blockbusters like the action film Pearl Harbor, the rom-com Serendipity, and most famously, five installments over the past 14 years of the Underworld franchise, one of Hollywood's first anchored by a woman. This year, she returned to her roots, reteaming with Wit Stillman, the quirky filmmaker with whom she previously collaborated 18 years ago on her first film in America, Last Days of Disco, this time on Love and Friendship, an adaptation of a little-known Jane Austen novella. The film had its world premiere at Sundance back in January, and Beckinsale's performance, as a widow constantly scheming for ways to attract rich husbands for herself and her grown daughter, has been on Best Actress shortlists ever since. Over the course of our conversation, Beckinsale and I talk about a wide range of topics, including the profound impact on her of the death of her father, a well-known actor, when he was just 31 and she was just 5, how being a young parent herself has shaped her career choices, the benefits and handicaps of being an extremely attractive woman in this business, how, to her great surprise, she wound up trading in corsets for latex on the big screen and her mixed feelings about that, her devastation over the, quote, tragic disappearance of the movie that she feels features her best performance yet, for which she received a Critics' Choice nomination, and what it feels like, with love and friendship, to once again be appreciated, first and foremost, for her acting chops. So, without further ado, let's go to that conversation. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. To begin with, we always just ask, where were you born and raised, and what did your folks do for
2: a living? I was born in London and raised in West London, and my father was an actor, and my mother was an actress, and my stepfather was a director.
1: Was their involvement in the entertainment industry what initially appealed to you about it or or attracted you to it?
2: I'm not sure. It's really hard to say. I mean, I, I really love doing school plays and stuff at school, and I think it does... At least make you interested when you see your parents very happy at work and very engaged and, and, and that seems like a good idea.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I had read in some of the interviews I, I looked at to prepare that you have sort of described your adolescent years as not the most fun or happy or pleasant. You said you wouldn't want to go back to them. What was, mm-hmm. what was going
2: on? My father died very suddenly when I was five of a heart attack and he was 31. So that informed quite a lot, obviously, of my early life. And, you know, obviously you moved house, moved schools. It was was just a lot of upheaval.
1: Meanwhile, though, it seems like there were other things where you talked about just sort of feeling anxiety and shyness or whatever. So how did you end up in a, at that time, not a profession yet, but a a area where you were going to have to put yourself in front of other people? It just seems like a strange way to end up.
2: I think a lot of actors are a funny mix of being quite extreme introverts and with an extroverted streak that makes it possible yeah. for them. And I also have always been attracted to kind of trying to get over things that I find difficult and, you know, the best parts of acting and then where you feel really connected and, and that, you know, you're really kind of creatively expressing something. You know, that's what keeps you going through the stuff that feels sort of more out of your comfort zone, I guess.
1: So I believe the, the first professional opportunity was... One Against the Wind, this is a TV movie, or was there something before and that? I'd even? done
2: a few things before that, yeah. but that was probably my first one that was remotely American.
1: And this, right, and this was just on the brink of you going off to Oxford, so mm-hmm. was there any thought given to maybe putting school off to focus solely on the acting, or did you always feel you could juggle the two?
2: I mean, I think I, I felt that I'd been raised by actors and around actors and... I knew I wanted to be an actress, and so I think there was a big part of me thinking about going to Oxford as being around people who were passionate about other things, and that that probably would be good for me, just in my life, but also probably as an actor as well. Yeah. And yeah, I, I knew I think at that age I wasn't quite ready to go into sort of full time, you know, adulthood and career and and all of that, and and it was important to, to me to go to university. I, I really wanted to go.
1: But you were able to continue to work while you were there, like you did several other professional things. Yeah,
2: I mean, I I could only really work during the summer vacation. And my third year, which was a year abroad because I studied languages, I lived in Paris and I I did a movie there in French.
1: I think that first big one that I mentioned, One Against the Wind, came out. You did it before you started at Oxford. It came out after. Mm. How did that... Affect things for you at school? Were people? Were you suddenly a, a big deal to your classmates? No,
2: I mean the thing is, my fa- my father was very very well known in England, and um, he was well known for being a an actor in in some really kind of seminal seventies comedies, and so he was famous in a way that you know I'm I'm not, and you know you're in people's homes, and he was sort of beloved, and then died very very young, so. Oh. I never had an anonymous name in uh-huh. England. And I, at that stage, wasn't really aware of there being a world outside England. Right, so, right, right, So I, I, I always had that feeling of kind of slightly sticking out. And if I ever said my last name, people would say, oh, are you any in right. so There was, There was always a bit of that anyway. And then when I started doing it, yeah, you know, I mean, kids can be kind of mean. You yeah. know, they kind of trap you into saying what you've been doing and then kind of make out like you were like. High on yourself, you know what I mean. You can't really win. It's awful age. Right. It's just an awful age. But it, people were cool, and and like I said, it didn't really bleed into my time there too much.
1: But that year abroad, you decided you came away from that deciding that you would rather focus on the art rather than go back to school.
2: Yeah, I did. It was a. It's a weird one. I think when I when I applied to go to Oxford, they had two two courses for French and Russian. One was three years, and one was four years. And so I applied for the three year one because I knew I wasn't going to last four years. And when I got there, I said, no, 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 I seem to have been signed up for the wrong one. And they said, we don't have a three-year course. We just put that in there. And I was like, oh, OK. So it was right. really never, ever going to be four years right. for me.
1: What was it that happened during that year abroad that that made you set on not going back?
2: Well, really silly things, to be honest. I mean, I actually spent most the better part of that year making a movie, which was so low budget that they kept... Not being able to afford the camera, so it actually dragged on for a good nine months. So it was perfect for me; it it worked the whole time. My boyfriend at the time was also studying French at Oxford, and so we lived together. And then, at the end of it, we broke up. And I remember thinking, Oh, going back, and you know, all of my other friends were doing three-year courses, so it's just going to be us, and we've broken up, and it's going to be weird. (laughs) I'd also like to be just doing movies now. And so there was, you know, personally and professionally, I just kind of felt like, no,
1: that's enough. Yeah. yeah. How did? Much Do About Nothing with Kenneth Branagh come about because that was the game changer in a sense, right? It was a different level. A- that was
2: my first summer vacation at, at Oxford. And, you know, I'd been going up for auditions and, and things and, and that happened to be one that actually I could do because right. it was shooting over the summer. And so, yeah, I went and, and auditioned for him and got the part and was able to go off and do that and come back and be finished in time for school.
1: So. And go to Cannes, right? That must have yeah, felt I'll like a Cannes. big thing. It did,
2: but it was weird because I think, you know, pre-social media and pre anyone in England knowing what a publicist was or anything it was very low-key and people yeah. were like oh no you're going to Cannes I said oh okay it wasn't like do you want a hair, hairdresser or a makeup right. artist and here's this fancy outfit you're wearing it really wasn't at all like that and <laughs> and no one even told me I could bring a guest so, I mean I would have brought my mum or something but uh, it was just you know it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system right. to be honest Cannes kind of a lot oh yeah you know? oh
1: yeah well coming back from that I guess your profile was continuing to grow and the one that I just if we're Going incrementally, it seems like Cold Comfort Farm for John Schlesinger. I know you fought for that one, right? Can you explain? Because And the reason I think it's just important to touch on a few of these is that it seems like one, in a way, really did lead to the next, lead Mm -hmm. to the next, and we can go through that. But just why was that one one that you wanted to fight for?
2: I just thought I just I found I found so much humor and sort of heart in that character. And I felt very, you know, much like that was kind of a great part for me. And I felt really well equipped to do it. And um, I'd gone and met with him. And then I think I'd had a couple of auditions, you know, just t- little tests. Uh-huh. And uh, and they kept saying, yes, she's our favorite one. She's our favorite one. You know, We're just deciding. And. Then all of a sudden they said, oh, she's too young. And I thought, no, that's a terrible reason. That's, that's an awful reason. And anyway, I'm not. And like I said, I think I was still at Oxford. So I was very much in the habit of writing a, an, you know, an essay to prove a point. So right. I, I wrote him this letter, which was basically an essay with sort of page references and things of where Flora <laughs> Post was exactly the age that I was. Right. And you can only really be... 19 when you do that, or 18 or whatever, <laughs> and then found out where he lived. And, and luckily he had quite a big gap under his front door, which I poked this essay under. And it worked. And, and he was such a brilliant and funny and amazing man. It actually kind of tickled him, and we stayed friends up until he died. That's great.
1: So, From that, I guess the, the next year you had Emma on TV, which mm-hmm. timing-wise, I guess, was it, was it frustrating that it came right after the film with Gwyneth Paltrow, because in a lot of ways yours was better received, but it's just always, I, I imagine, the first one gets more attention. And stuff. I think,
2: yeah, it was, and it, it set off a kind of a pattern. I remember when I was doing Last Days of Disco, they mm-hmm. were doing Another disco movie, they are doing a movie called Studio 54. And then uh-huh. when I was doing Broke Down Palace, they did another one about... It. I just seemed to be, like, always, right. in the, always in the slightly cheaper version of two <laughs> movies that were being made that were similar. But, yeah, I mean, ours was it was completely different. Ours was kind of, I think, like the eight parts or something. Yeah. Like, it was a whole th- a television thing. And, yeah, theirs was a movie. But, you know, I grew up in England. I've seen... By the time I was making Emma, I'd probably seen... At least eight Hamlets. So it's not like I think, you know, it's not open to a lot of interpretations. Right.
1: Not long after that, you moved to America. What? Maybe it wasn't considered a permanent movie. I know. It wasn't at all. I just
2: went to do a movie. Right. Um, So
1: how did that come? Because this is going to connect back to love and friendship eventually. But what brought you there? And
2: and, the first American movie I was asked to do was by Whit Stillman, who was making this movie called Last Days of Disco. And at the time, I'd been offered an amazing play, a new play. And it was clashing with this movie, and I did my litmus test, which I always do, which is which one is more scary, right. and I should do that one. And the, and the American one was more scary, because I really had very little experience of America, and mm-hmm. beyond Disneyland and you know, <laughs> McDonald's, didn't really know much right. about it. And so off I went and did that, and then as soon as I finished that movie, I went and did another American movie, but that was in, shot in the Philippines, which is called Broke Down Palace. And then after that, got immediately pregnant. And and my daughter's dad was in, on Broadway in a, a play of a production of Amadeus. So we ended up going to New York and living there for a while because of him and all sort of staying together as a family. And mm-hmm. while we were there, I got off at Pearl Harbor.
1: So Last Days of Disco, though, was like two or three years before Pearl Harbor. So was that just in yeah. the works for a long time, Pearl
2: Harbor? No, God, no, no. Yeah. I mean, I was sent a couple of pages when I you know, was home with my baby in New York will you go and put yourself on tape for this? And sort of said, okay, and wow. then then this whole thing happened. <laughs> but we still didn't move. I mean, we didn't, I didn't move to America for a Until while. Until after, after mm-hmm.
1: uh, Pearl Harbor or yeah. something. Yeah. So just to come back to last days of disco for a second, I guess you had to learn your American accent mm-hmm. for that. You had to, it was just probably a totally different experience. Yeah. What was it like? You you guys headed off?
2: Wes and I? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's he was a very different, sort of very different, type of director than say Kenneth Branagh who himself is an actor uh-huh. and is you know really into rehearsing and and all of that and Witt doesn't really like anything <laughs> like that so he, he really wasn't into rehearsal or you know long deep psychological conversations about the character absolutely horrify Wit, I think you know <laughs> um, but he's very literary he's very academic and obviously I've had a big background in that yeah. so that was something that wasn't hugely alien even though it did feel like a big responsibility because not only was it American accent it was sort of a very particular strata of of New York a- accent, right. and it was his life, really, um, and people that he knew, and and so you know I really wanted to kind of do a decent job because I felt very important right. for him, right? Know? And I really loved I love that he writes these sort of difficult women and and relishes them, you know, and cinematically they're so compelling. I think people just love them, but not everybody is great at at putting them up there. You know?
1: Well, people have sort of grew. Cold Comfort Farm, Emma, Last Days of Disco they say these are comedies of manners were you looking to to break out of that sort of a you know, British type. No,
2: I didn't really feel I was in anything. I mean, I think the thing was because I'd made the decision to go to Oxford, I was very aware of the fact that I'd not gone to drama school and spent six months pretending to be a tree and another six (laughs) months pretending to be, you know, a specific type of baboon and all the other stuff that people do. So when I started, I thought, you know, what's really important is that I do as many different things and that started out being, okay, I'm going to do Shakespeare. Okay, now I'm going to do the lead in a movie. Now I'm going to do uh, production of Chekhov on stage and I went, so while all the that other stuff that you've mentioned is going yeah. on, all that was going on as well for me right. so it really felt like in order to become as kind of muscular as possible as an actor I just wanted to do as many different things and so Pearl Harbor came along and to be honest on paper it looked to me like a 1940s love story and I didn't know who Michael Bay was and I didn't know who Jerry Bruckheimer was and I didn't know what that meant and the script that I was originally sent was this fantastic script by Randall Wallace that was wonderful that we didn't end up at to say shooting and uh-huh. got rewritten quite heavily but it didn't feel at all different I mean I once I got, I mean I think I had just done The Golden Bowl which is a Henry James adaptation for Merchant Ivory which was the first movie I did back after having a baby uh-huh. and then went straight onto Pearl Harbor after you know a few months later and yeah it, I'd never been on a production of that size or scale or did you
1: realize when you signed no. up for it how big it was going to be no
2: I don't think you can really go from having a sort of provincial island mentality and then Know what you're getting into, right. and the biggest movie that's ever been green lit with right. Michael and Jerry. You know, it's like I didn't have a concept for that in my mind. I just didn't didn't know what that was.
1: Did they say why they mm. wanted you for that part?
2: I think I did the best audition. Best
1: audition. Yeah. And what did you like about the? You said of '40s, you know, old, cl- you know, classic kind of love story. But was there something about the character that you really liked?
2: I did. She had a huge dilemma in the movie. She had these two guys, and <laughs> and you know. There was something about the kind of there's something about a loss of innocence that obviously Pearl Harbor represents for America. But just I think for everybody in their life, at some point, they have that moment that was the loss of innocence, whatever it is, yeah. whether it's someone dying or, you know, getting heartbroken or whatever it is. And I felt that was in the script that I read it was incredibly resonant and really, really moving and possibly related very heavily to that because, you know, my father died so young, yeah. and, you know, I, I, I sort of felt like we had our own. Part of the house, you know, yeah. and it was very emotional, and 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 I I liked that she had that kind of you know she had this awful dilemma that was going on.
1: That was also because you're now really in the Hollywood machine with that movie. I guess probably an introduction to some of the BS that comes with that. Mm-hmm. And I've read a little bit. You've spoken somewhat about just running into that. What was without harping on it, you know, like what was yeah. your first impressions of how some of that. Operate.
2: To be honest, I mean, there was a big sort of blow up this year of a story that I've told about nine million times with virtually no response. I think the big difference is that clickbait hadn't been invented the first time I told that story. <laughs> right, yeah. And so there was not much reaction And it. And it really wasn't. It wasn't. It's been sort of skewed as a, as a feminist issue. And my, the first person to leap aboard a feminist issue, it, it actually wasn't. I think. I think Michael and Michael and Jerry have a very, had, I don't know, I can't speak for them because I haven't worked with either of them for 15 years, but had a very specific aesthetic. And they aren't wrong to have that. And a lot of directors and producers have that. And I think I was very much helped in it by because it was a bit shocking having, you know, turning up and going, okay, I'm playing a 40s nurse and then spending this insane workout schedule, which was just kind of like, wait, am I playing a bodybuilder? <laughs> like, what's going on here? But... Ben had already done a movie with them, and Ben had had, you know, well, his teeth removed or something, and mm. put back it, you know, like, like there was much worse things. So it really wasn't kind of oh, let's beat this woman up, and you know, it wasn't that. It was just I didn't fit that aesthetic, and they was needed that me aesthetic? to. I think I had sort of jet black hair. I'd never seen the sun once, you know, <laughs> and I think they wanted me to not look like some kind of underfed refugee, you know. <laughs> Having said that, it was a little bit brutally delivered, you know, and it was a bit shocking and you didn't feel kind of like part of it, you know. Like It wasn't like, hey, would you like to be part of our right. gang of attractive people with tans? <laughs> you know, it wasn't so much like that. But but I have to say, the fact that Ben had had so much experience with that and, and also, you know, in the context of... You know, I mean, we finished the movie. Michael is a very particular kind of a guy. You know, there's a ton of people in Hollywood that have their Michael Bay humorous story. He's a very passionate person, and so the
1: way he would speak about it after the fact was another. That where, was where
2: that was where I kind of was like, okay, dude, now you need to like relax on this. Right. But again, it was something that. Years ago, I'd said, and then it sort of blew up this year, and I felt, I felt kind of torn because I feel like there's, you know, I think there's something shaming about saying oh, we don't think Kate's attractive enough, whatever it was he said. There's something kind of slightly shaming about that, but I also think that I'm not a fan of anyone shaming anyone really, and and well, yeah, and just
1: talking it, about somebody else's physical, you, I, it just seems well,
2: more- quite, but also then the kind of thing that blew up about him, and oh well, my god, is he's this and that, the other thing. I, I don't think you know shaming someone back is the answer to feeling you know what I mean no, that's it was an that, interesting that wouldn't have conversation, been conversation
1: though because it was sure. uh, it's definitely not you know it's happening right now with one of our presidential candidates likes to yeah. talk this way I mean and, and, yeah no
2: absolutely I think and I think that's a good, good conversation to have I just don't think it should necessarily all be laid on the feet of somebody who's may have said something 15 years before I don't know how it is and I pray and hope that everyone has evolved a bit you know right, what I mean Right,
1: right. all right so right after that I believe was serendipity yeah, and no, actually concurrently. concurrently? I, that, they They overlapped by a couple work? of weeks. That
2: was really rough. I had a 11-month-old baby, was oh, like, okay. a really young baby, and Serendipity was here, and Pearl Harbor was in L.A. So there was a couple of really Jeez. hair-raising Goodness. weeks there, going back and forth. And even just in terms of period and type of yeah, character, that yeah. must have been jarring. That was, that was quite intense, yeah. But
1: you liked that because it was more, the quote I had seen before, a great relief to return to something slightly more familiar in the sense, I really? guess. Uh, I yeah. don't
2: remember it being yeah. that. I It wasn't so much that. It was, it was nice to, to play. I, I hadn't played really a, a, sort of modern comedy really at that right. point, even though my character wasn't necessarily the one bringing the kind of the absolute comedy zone. I did like, I liked the relationship between yeah. her and John and, it was a sad one, that movie, because I think it's a quite beloved movie, yeah. and and most particularly with men, weirdly enough. I find that, <laughs> you know, if a man comes up to me and says, oh, I just want to say my favourite movie of yours, it's always Serendipity, which is interesting. Why do you think that is? I don't know, I d- I really, but I find it kind of cheering, yeah. and I've done so many sort of boys' movies, it's right, right. always, always Serendipity, that man says. That is really interesting. Which is funny. What happened with that one was that we were going, taking it to Toronto, and then we were going to do the premiere the next week, and it was... I think Toronto is September 10th, and we were all arriving on the 11th. And wow. then we didn't go, and then it was a nightmare. And so when the movie came out, it was really a very weird situation because we'd shot it in New York, you know, a lot yeah. it in New York. The Twin Towers had to be removed. It was a really kind of awkward that, and, and yeah. upsetting thing. And then, of course, I don't think any of us felt like walking down a red carpet saying come out of your house, stop watching the news and go and see our movie, please. It just was, you know, so right. we, we did this kind of red carpet thing. It was very awkward. And of course, no one was going to the movies. Everyone was terrified. Like we were Ooh. terrified to be in a public place right, and everyone right. was home. So so th- I don't think the movie really sort of opened particularly but right. because nobody was going to the movie theater. I but think it's I had saw this, it on a plane. I think a lot exactly, of people would catch up with it I think it later. it's had this incredible life yeah. post its cinematic release, yeah. which was, you know, blighted somewhat by far more important sure. things
1: going on. Here's another quote that you said about that time, if I can just get your reaction. Quote, at twenty-eight, twenty-nine, I felt like the part I'd kept closed up for my own safety, I could now direct. And within minutes, suddenly you're in all these sexy photo shoots and you become associated with being sexy. Mm. Like your persona, probably as a result of Pearl Harbor and serendipity, I guess, back to back. It
2: wasn't, it was Underworld. It, it was Underworld, that's what started that? Yeah, I think so. It
1: sounds like prior to that, you wouldn't have been okay with that, you know, until that age.
2: It wasn't even so much okay with the photo it was like a mindset thing, I think I think I was, you know, I was fairly you know, full-blown feminist girl Uh four older brothers, I can do what you can do type person growing up and I started in this business at 16 and Uh it wasn't very well policed in England where you weren't constantly being offered a chaperone and I was finding myself going off and, you know, to be fair, I was pretty lucky and nothing terrible happened but I think I did have a kind of I'm not going to be that kind of long-haired, pretty starlet that you feel that you can wrestle in a hotel hallway. <laughs> I had, you know, steel toe cap Dr. Martens and kind of a boy's haircut and, you know, w- went around looking fairly cross and, and, and all that. And I think, I think that really did protect me, actually. I haven't ever had somebody, you know, really seriously try and casting couch me. I haven't been asked those kind of inappropriate questions that I hear other actresses go into a you know an audition with a really important director and the first question is are you dating and things like that I've never had that and I think I did also not have for the first you know 10 years of my career anyone thinking oh here comes the sex goddess either but I think it was something that I felt I was in control of having or not having and so when I did fall in love with someone and feel kind of like there was a direction for that then I I think I felt comfortable you know
1: and so just chronologically Serendipity and Pearl Harbor were 2001. Two years later was when people saw Underworld and yeah. that period that you're now talking about. First, I guess, how did that come about and what appealed to you about that? Because that was unlike anything up to that point.
2: Right, and it sort of continued in the vein of me going, I need to find the, you know, the thing that scares me the most. And what my career, I think, I, my hope for my career was that it would always feel like an apprenticeship. I would yeah. always be out of my comfort zone. And that really was outside my comfort zone. Also, I thought they were absolutely foolhardy for sending it to me because <laughs> I really didn't know if I could do it. And physically, you mean, or just yeah, just yeah. any of it. You know, I think I'd had a couple of meetings for you know movies where you were playing a cop or something, and they'd say, well, but you know, she's very, she's sort of English and fragile, and you know, she's a bit classy. <laughs> You're know, not sure she's got really an edge, and I right. thought I'm going to have to take care of that. <laughs> so anyway, this thing appeared, and and. I said yes and thought shit now what and had this kind of incredibly sort of life-changing training period that was really useful in a lot of ways actually.
1: And you liked it?
2: No I hated every (laughs) minute of it but it was one of those things that was really good you know it was it was you know it's like as an adult it's not that common to have people say you have to become very 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 good at this thing in which you have had no interest or requirement to do fast right you know it's it's wakes you up it's like physical sudoku or something like that you know it's wards off alzheimer's right. it's good and it was really liberating in a lot of ways it really was it really was and i certainly didn't think there was going to be four or five or whatever over movies. like 13
1: 14 years no i yeah. really
2: didn't and that sort of evolved really from much more personal circumstances you know i think the second movie i did we did that one sort of because we just got married and we didn't want to be separated and working together say, was so
1: you're, you're you were married at the time you did the first one or after the first one?
2: Oh, no, I met, we met on the first, on the first movie one. and then we got married. And I okay. think the tough thing about this industry is, you know, especially if you're married to a director, if they go to work, they go to work for two years, you barely see them. Right, we right. just got married and we started making a, you know, trying to make a step family with a little kid and all that. And it didn't feel right that we would all be off far-flung corners, and, you know, and so... There was a perfectly good commercial reason to do a second movie, which the studio really wanted to do, mm-hmm. but actually, personally, was was more pressing that we could all right. at least you know stay together. And then they did a third movie without me, <laughs> which was fine, and everyone still thought it was me because I think they did something <laughs> weird on the poster and, and made it look look like you, right? Yeah. And then the fourth one was you know much after, much, way long after that. Right. And, you know now we got
1: a fifth this year. Fifth, yeah. All right. And the funny thing just is that you. The, the way it's been written about is like you've, you've been in all these corsets and now you're going to go into latex. You <laughs> can't, get, can't get a and break. There's a and it's still a corset. That's what's so crazy is that Underworld <laughs> right.
2: has a corset too. Yeah.
1: Well, I love your quote. I've never been able to have a big lunch on a movie. Ever. Yeah,
2: exactly. I long for the one where I'm in sweatpants. Bridget Jones' diary. Right.
1: Talk about the way that those movies, I guess starting with the first, impacted the rest of your career and career opportunities and things afterwards. Did people now. In a weird way, and and let me just hate to keep pulling quotes, but there was a good quote where I was, quote, I was so anxious to not pigeonhole myself that I ended up pigeonholing myself in the page that was furthest outside my comfort zone. Yeah, that's
2: a weird feeling. That was a really weird feeling to go, oh, my gosh, I haven't given enough thought. The thing is, what you always have to remember is right when I started doing your magnitudes, I got pregnant probably ten or twelve years earlier than any of my friends or anyone normal right. that I knew. <laughs> How old were you? I was like twenty three or something right. I had babies. So it's like my friends didn't have babies till they were well into their thirties. Right, so right. you know, it wasn't even something that was on the radar. So I was I was sort of navigating all of this with also being largely a single mum to quite a small baby and being, you know, very, very concerned with doing a good job at that. Yeah. And so really I kind of look at my career before that and sort of now mm-hmm. as as kind of bookends to this kind of being shot out of a canon situation where really it's not that, I don't know, if I hadn't had a child, would I have done different movies? 100%. There were so many reasons... That weren't to do with just the movie yeah. that would make me do certain movies, which such as, can this keep my family together? Will I be close? To, will I be able to take my child with me? Right. You know, all those things, you know, that I'd never had to factor in before, and I'm actually having to factor in a lot less now because I'm ahead of the game now, right. making my right. a giant <laughs> adult. But, but right. it definitely had, you know, I can think of a lot of movies that 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 were part of being the main breadwinner in a household, being, you know, that all of those things that was, it's also part of it, you sure. know. And I won't, I won't lie about that. It's not like I sat there yeah. going, well, no, I don't think. I'll do Blue Jasmine, I think I'll do Underworld <laughs> 7, you know what I mean, it, it right. was not, it, no, that, and this it is wasn't not, that kind of a thing. And
1: you know? none of this is to knock Underworld, because by the way, how many female franchises <clears throat> are there, how many original concept franchises, I, you know, so. Yeah, and
2: I'm proud of that, and I'm proud of the fact that, you know, I know when we were doing the first Underworld, you know, the the two women that you'd reference were Sigourney Weaver and Linda Hamilton, you know, and now there's a ton. And my daughter can't really imagine a universe in which. Right. It's such a wild idea to have a female lead in a, a, a big action franchise you know that's normal to her yeah, yeah. and I, I feel really good about being part of having moved that needle I Absolutely. really do it's not what I set out to do. I did set out I, I remember reading some incredibly obnoxious quote I'd said probably at the age of 17 <laughs> about, I'm not interested in playing drippy women I'm not interested in like playing weak women I am actually perfectly interested in playing weak women as long as the character's interesting right, now right. that I'm older and I you know <laughs> a little bit you know, less you know like that <laughs> however, I know what I meant, which was there was such a lot of parts going around, which were, I'm in a tight cocktail dress and now I'm going to take a long shower scene. And I didn't, I didn't want anything to do with that. No. And I did. I didn't see why it couldn't be the case that, you know, there could be more female leads like that. And and I do feel really proud of that. I really no, do. It's, I, it's a weird thing to feel that that's if you hadn't and I hadn't. I was so busy, you know, having my baby and juggling nine movies. Mm-hmm. I didn't ever sit there and think, right, I need to have a persona in a niche and I'm going to, you know, create that. I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. And I think other people do that. Before they impose it on you. I think so. And I think that's yeah. really smart. They decide, what, which, what am I and what am I going to market myself as? And I just kind of blew along. And then what happens is I think other people then decide your persona for you. And I didn't realize that until I was knee deep into the persona, which right. was not
1: that long ago. Well, it's funny because the book ends in a way, I mean, it sounds like just before Underworld and now not after Underworld but concurrently with the mm-hmm. with the most recent, are these Wet Stellman mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. which we'll come to more, but before first you mentioned you haven't had to deal with casting couch BS, uh-huh. but I mean I wonder if you feel like in terms of people's imaginations about what you can do, like in persona or whatever, this may this may sound like a kiss ass question, but I'm genuinely <laughs> curious. Can you almost be in people's minds too attractive? You know, in the sense that they can only imagine you in a character that is defined by physicality, like you're saying.
2: I think the the thing, no, I don't think you can be too attractive, really. I don't think that's the problem. I think the problem is, is once you've, become associated with a sort of iconic costume that involves rubber trousers. You know, I think it's probably that. I think it can be prohibitive in the sense that sometimes, you know, you think, gosh, could I imagine Angelina Jolie working as a waitress? Because you, you know what I mean? I remember thinking that, yeah, yeah, you kind of go, go and be a model, you're so beautiful. (laughs) You make so much money. You know, so that, yes, in that sense, I suppose. But I think that's stuff that a lot of very beautiful women have navigated with Charlize or Angelina or, you know, all those people have navigated that. I do think that the rubber trousers are... More of a flag.
1: That's it. Well, and and in a way, I guess it, it helps to some of this when you get a call from Martin Scorsese saying, right. and his quote was, "I've always liked her. I've seen all her, all her work, and I was glad that she agreed to audition. This is for The Aviator, and to play a woman who we all remember as one of the great beauties ever, Ava Gardner, was that." Exciting or intimidating or daunting to, to get such.
2: I think pick. you have to just sort of not think about it. I remember years ago when I was at college and they were or, or at school even they were remaking Sabrina. I remember thinking, Oh my god, I absolutely wouldn't want to go up for that. <laughs> who wants to be unfavorably compared to Audrey Hepburn? <laughs> yeah. Like everyone can unfavorably compare themselves to right. Audrey Hepburn. Like, why would I have to go <laughs> to, you to, have to make movie? I would have nightmare. Right. So it was a bit similar to that, except that you know, obviously, you we were actually playing her. You weren't remaking her movie. Right. And yeah, maybe people who grew up stunningly attractive during their middle school years are kind of immune to that kind of self-loathing doubt and crisis that comes along with and here comes the most beautiful woman in the world right. but I wasn't so right. yeah it's one of those things you're like oh shit <laughs>
1: <laughs> I remember reading you say that you were particularly proud of Snow Angels
2: yeah I really like Snow Angels
1: and that was just to <laughs> remind people movie you're playing this overwhelming kind of single mother, mm-hmm. Sam Rockwell, mm-hmm. for David Gordon Green. What yeah. was what was it about that one that really uh, was special for you?
2: Um, they had a really crazy relationship, a sort of mutually abusive relationship in the movie Sam's character and mine. And towards the end, I mean, terrible, tragic things happen in the movie with their child and stuff. But towards the end, there are some really intense scenes that you know are among I mean there's been a few times obviously but the the, the scenes that you hang out in being an actor through the shitty parts of being an actor (laughs) some of those were on Snow Angels that kind of keep you going oh this is why I did it you Mm -hmm. know and and you can sometimes reach a thing with another actor where it feels so unbelievably dangerous during the scene that it's so thrilling and also there's a good chance one of you is going to kill the other person (laughs) and the director's kind of letting it happen and it, it's a really incredible kind of connection and high and I'm imagining must feel like serving an ace and then getting one served back, back at you. You know what right, I mean? It, right. it, it's just the most unbelievable feeling to be connecting with another actor like that and to be connected with the director. I mean, everything line up. You know, There's so many moving parts and elements in a movie that determine whether it's successful or not far beyond an actor's performance. Right. No, and so when those all feel, you know, that feels like kind of magical lightning.
1: No reason for you to remember this, but in December 2008, you came to Brandeis University in Boston, and I did a QA and a with you in mm-hmm. conjunction with this movie, Nothing But The Truth. Oh, the
2: biggest tragedy of my life.
1: I know. and I wa- So here's here's another fun quote. You said, I have prayed, prayed for film companies to go bankrupt on films I've made, and then this happens on The One I Love, yeah. which, just for people to have the scene set before we talk about it, basically this is like a Judith Miller-type yeah. reporter, won't give up her source, has to go through a lot of crap as a result you got a Critics Choice nomination we and the press watched it but unfortunately the company distributor went out of business yeah it It
2: was literally like I mean it was just one of those amazing things that, that was a story that was sort of you know fairly loosely based on or not that loosely based on Judy Miller and Judy had had such a kind of bashing and beating and prison sentence and press nightmare and she really didn't want anything to do with it and we managed to you know tease her out to come and actually talk to me. And that was just sort of, you know, that's kind of like getting Bambi to come eat out of your mm-hmm. hand. You know, it felt like such a privilege. And we shot it in Memphis, and we shot it in actual prisons that were working prisons. And it was, you know, a really amazing shoot. And we had Alan Alder and mm-hmm. Dylan and Vera Farmiga, who's been, yeah. and they're all being just so brilliant.
1: And Rod's a good actor director, is, right? Rod
2: was wonderful, and had written the great movie. Right. And it was just the most brilliant kind of collaborative. It was one, again, one of those ones where, it's rare that everything, you've got a great script and then you get great actors and then the director directs it really well and it all works and it's a movie that you're incredibly proud of and you can actually bear watching um, <laughs> as an actor. And, you know, he was also very generous in terms of, like, come in the cutting room, are there takes that you remember. Like, I hadn't had that experience yeah. before and that was a really great experience. I got nominated for the Critics' Choice Award and I, I remember it as being the next day. It could have been a few days later, but then suddenly this kind of terrible phone call saying the movie company's gone bankrupt, it's actually not going to be released and therefore it's not eligible for any awards. Yeah. And also it's never coming out in the movie theatre. And it was like, oh my God, it was like a miscarriage. I mean, it felt yeah. like, you know, this thing that you were feeling so proud of and yeah. precious of and actually excited about was just all of a sudden absolutely dead. And that was really destabilising, you know, because, I mean, I think every actor's had the experience where they, you know, they go into a movie with high-ish hopes or medium to high mm-hmm. hopes or whatever it is, and then kind of fairly early on you can go, oh, I have a feeling this isn't going to be necessarily the best version of itself, right. whatever. And, and and so when you have got one that is and then sort of tragically yeah. dies, it just makes you go, what's the point of doing this? And you, you did know?
1: take like a couple of years where you uh, weren't that busy right after that. Yeah, because. I
2: did. Because I think it was it was a really hard one to go. I'd never expected that... It's almost like you you go to make an amazing wedding cake that's seven tiers, and you kind of get it done, and you literally fall down the stairs oh, holding it. You're geez. like, I don't think I'm going to be making no, a, cake that's a cake. You know what I mean? It's yeah. like all the things that could go wrong in the process of making a cake, nothing did. And then, like, there was a gust of wind. It seems like so random. Right. I think, I think what it was. And, right. and it also really, I think, made me feel like, as an actor, you are so utterly powerless in terms of. You know, you can't protect yourself. You can't protect no. your performance. You're completely at the mercy. And I think that took a little bit of the momentum out of it mm-hmm. for me. And and it did. And actually, interestingly enough, I think what's made me m- much more sort of, you know, into it lately is that as my daughter has got older and I have, have had a little bit more headspace, mm-hmm. I have been able to be more involved from the beginning of projects or finding material mm-hmm. to write myself or mm-hmm. things like that. And, and And I think that does offset... That strange kind of bungee jumping solitude of being an actor where there's only so much you can do.
1: Right, right. You know what I mean? I'm sure there have been plenty of great performances that have been screwed up. in hundred percent. Yeah. And the
2: thing is, you just can't be that good in a bad movie. There's right. a cap. There's just right. a cap. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So obviously jumping over some things, but, the, but this January people go to... Sundance, and I think that many of them, you know, everybody's curious, especially in the indie community. with Stillman, let's yeah, see what I this is. A movie for a long time. But I mean, I don't think anybody could have anticipated how favorably people reacted to mm. Love and Friendship. It's been like one of the best reviewed movies of the year, and yeah. people loved your performance in it. And again, just to set the scene, this is sort of a lesser known Jane Austen novella. It was called Lady Susan. You're playing Lady Susan. Mm-hmm. Witt has said, quote, when I was writing it, I was thinking of Kate, that she was the best person for it. Meanwhile, it's been 18 years since you last worked with him. <laughs> so that was a long must have, pregnancy.
2: Yeah. Well, he said he was thinking of me when he was writing it, but I, he didn't... Obviously, at the time, I think I was 22 and <laughs> couldn't feasibly have had a 17-year-old or right, 16-year-old right, right. daughter.
1: Oh, so he was thinking about it back then. Yeah. Oh, that's crazy. Isn't that
2: wild? And the thing yeah. about Witt that's so amazing is, one, he's so interesting in every mm-hmm. way, but two... He leaks out information in the most titrated way possible. So I didn't find this out. And he tends to not share that yeah. sort of thing unless you're in a panel at Sundance. Right. A bunch of people. So oh, my God, really? Like I, I find out when everyone else finds out. Right, right, yeah, it's right. funny. He keeps his cards close to his chest.
1: So you said, quote, it felt very familiar and quite weird because Wit was the one who dragged me out of that, In you know, the... Kind of period. period piece, whatever, and into America, and then just when everyone went, oh, she does American movies. With then took me back to Austin. <laughs> yeah. So was it felt that really nice. when you heard from him? Were you, what kind of went through your mind? Did you know this material? Did you know? Not anything?
2: at all. I got sent the script and I read it and I thought, okay, it says it's Jane Austen, but it obviously isn't because it's <laughs> really so funny and kind of modern funny right. and dark and. I thought it must be, I remember when I did Emma, there was a big trend of uh, people writing novels sort of as a sequel right. in the style of, you know, sens- Sensibility or pride and or whatever. And I thought it was him doing that. I really didn't, <laughs> I didn't cross my mind that it was really original. And also arrogantly assumed I would have heard of it. So <laughs> so then, yeah, then it, I was also really interested because, you know, as I said, Witt is such a fascinating character and so deeply, deeply talented and had sort of disappeared off the face of the earth. And there was, a, I think he, there was some kind of, he said to me, he would tried to get in touch with me sort of eight years into the <laughs> sabbatical, <laughs> yeah, the right, sabbatical right. that he took about some movie about aliens or something, which I probably just didn't believe, right. not knowing this <laughs> extent of, you know, right. its eccentricity. But then when he came back, it was just so fascinating to go, God, I'd love to do that. I'd love to, what an amazing thing to be able to go, get back, not just with him, but with also Chloe.
1: Yeah, and, right. and have
2: a different dynamic in our friendship, and
1: because people should remember she was also in Last Days. So another th- level, I wonder if you related to the character on. Obviously, she was also a young single mother. Mm-hmm. That's and that's a central part of who she is. Figuring out life for both of. Not just herself, but for the daughter. I mean yeah. is a character that you do you feel connected to this character in an unusual way?
2: I mean I felt very connected in terms of the fact that I again it was a it was a similar thing with, with Cold Company Farm where I just felt like, oh this is so exactly my kind of humor. I love I love that kind of character humor where the character's got kind of a blind spot and could be just the most awful person in the world but actually is somehow like charming. Ball, and right, like ball, yeah and I just it's a it's a difficult one and I, I'm really attracted to to those people that you go, oh I don't like them. Oh no I do like them. Right. You know, I am really attracted <laughs> to those characters and they don't come around that often actually. So
1: And the language, the type of loved, long speeches and like all that. that. I mean it was yeah.
2: fairly intimidating to you know you look at the script and go, hold on, hold on a minute. You got a lot. I'm still talking. Yeah. I'm still talking. <laughs> it was a lot of that. How long have we got to shoot this? 26 days. Oh, that's not very long. I'm going to be speaking the entire time. Right, right. So that was that. But it was it was a wonderful thing, you know, to come back. And, and if we had shot it in England, that would have been, you know, really bookends. But we, Where shot, did you? we shot it in Dublin, which I'd actually not spent much time in Ireland. So yeah. I wasn't right, really on home term. Right, I right. kind of say I was, but I wasn't yeah, really.
1: Nearby. Yeah. It's also interesting to look at that movie through the sort of feminist prism because... Yeah this woman was maybe sort of a weirdo in her own time right. but today
2: there'd be no movie
1: be she'd no. just be a normal woman
2: that's the thing that I think was interesting about it as well is that she's re- she's sort of received this sort of devil and this serpent and oh my god isn't she terrible she's appalling and I remember when I started doing press for the movie I was kind of like but the thing is though you kind of have to see her in context of the time period that she's in a woman of that time she can't really have an education, she can't really have a career of any, you know, note. What's your choice, a school teacher or nothing? You have to marry to have any kind of freedom or liberty. And you have to marry someone who has money, which means you're probably not that attracted to them. Your world is small, and your ways of surviving are the ways a dependent survives. And she's kind of circumnavigating that. And her, for her daughter. For herself and for her daughter. And so in that sense, you know, I, I don't see her as just this just this kind of sociopathic, narcissistic one. So <laughs> I think she's somebody who's really kind of, you know, in the fray in terms of what was going on for women at that time.
1: So were you at Sundance in January? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, to... I'm sure it's fun just to be there, but to then have a movie that goes over I'd so never, well. I'd never been before never either.
2: Met? No, I um, i was supposed to go for Snow Angels, but I wasn't well and I couldn't uh-huh. go. So it was a pretty wild first taste of Sundance. It was amazing. I mean, it, the thing was is that, you know, I didn't know how the movie was going to come out. You hope, you know, I hope it comes out well. And I'd seen it and I'd liked it. And that's awfully unusual, you know, <laughs> when one is in the movie. Right. And then seeing it without, you know, it's just that thing where you wonder if other people are going to get it, you know, in the, in the way that you do. And you're so close to it. But they really did seem to really like it, and yeah. that feels very nice.
1: And in terms of what's next for you, you mentioned your daughter is now going out into the real world. I mm, guess nearly, um, not yet, but not yet, close, almost. Yes, is she into acting as well? She it is. Seems yeah. It's in the family. I'm afraid
2: she's. Uh, if there is any truth in the DNA, she's absolutely screwed. <laughs> her, her dad obviously is an actor as well. Right, um, right, and, and luckily we've seen her now. In, acting and she's good so we can go oh, okay <laughs> you can breathe easy, yeah, yeah that would have been very awkward but I'm now I'm actually about to start mo- shooting a movie here in New York can I ask on what Monday it is? it's called The Only Living Boy in New York and it's an Alan Loeb script that Mark Webb is directing with Jeff Bridges and um, oh, Callum awesome. Turner and yeah, yeah. Pierce Brosnan
1: and then also I heard you are
2: writing yeah but it's almost done um, Emma Forrest who's a brilliant writer who actually went to the same high school as I did a couple of years below and we vaguely knew each other then, turns out to be the only other person in L.A. who doesn't have a driver's license. <laughs> and uh, that isn't why we're writing together. Right. It actually makes it far more difficult. Thank God for Uber or whatever. Right, here. exactly, exactly. So I think, I feel like they invented that for me. Right. And uh, so we've written a, a script together that I think, I once I'm finished with this movie, I will go polish, and then I think we'll shoot it next year. That's
1: great. So finally, you said, quote, I'm not sure that my career necessarily reflects my sensibility as much as I would like, close quote. This was over, you know, I guess one of these kind of looking back at the big picture things. Now you're coming through this interesting period where it's almost like this year is the microcosm. You've got your Mm -hmm. underworld and you've got your Mm -hmm. period costume drama and all that. If it were entirely up to you and you could just go from all the positive vibes and momentum that this movie has elicited, what would the next 18 years look like for you? What would you Mm -hmm. like to you know have happen during that time?
2: I mean, I have to say, uh, there's a, I would like to do some theater. I think there's something very important about actors having audiences and and feeling audiences mm-hmm. and, and all of that. I think that's important. And I haven't done that because of having a child. Mm-hmm. But I'm really interested in continuing the writing and, and finding my own material. I'd also really like to do more comedy. I think Love and Friendship was great on a lot of levels. But, you know, I've, I've been somebody who, in the very beginning of my career, really avoided comedy because my father was so well known for it. It is my absolutely first love, and I feel I have a good sensibility for that. But when you're holding a machine gun, people tend to notice the machine (laughs) gun before their their sense of humor, you know. So I don't know that. It'll be interesting to see if, now that I'm not toting around a three-year-old everywhere, (laughs) it'll be interesting to see what effect that actually has, because I think it will have.
1: Very good. Well, thank you so much. Thanks.
2: Thank you.
0: Plus.